0: Do you remember September 11th, 2001? Crazy day in history. Crazy day that I think for those of us that remembered, it's really burned into our thoughts and our minds. And I was struck as Steve was reading Psalm 55. I was struck by Psalm 55, verses 4 through 6. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. I, I wasn't really familiar with those words at that time, but I would say that sums up my feelings that day as I watched the Twin Towers fall. How, Lord? Terror and death were just overwhelming. And, and I remember thinking, God, what is the sense of this? What is the meaning and purpose in and through this? How do we go on with all this craziness that is going on in the world? And you know, I think a lot of us, we live our lives trying to find that thing. How do we make sense of our lives? How do we make sense of our purpose here? How do we make sense of the craziness of the world around us. How many of you have ever heard of the term MacGuffin? A MacGuffin. Has anybody heard of a MacGuffin? I love when I bring out obscure knowledge that you've never heard of. It makes me sound really smart. A MacGuffin is often used in in the film industry, because that's my people, evidently. And uh, it's a plot device. Anybody familiar with it now? Plot device? No, still. All right. Wow. This is like... Culture 101 here. This is really not important. You don't have to remember it. But a MacGuffin is this idea and a plot of something the main character has to go for. Some secret that's lost, some item that is lost and needs to be found. And it's a plot device. You see it in so many different movies. You see it in books. But it's come to be known, I don't know where this term came from, but it came to be known as a MacGuffin. I think of uh, how many, no, I won't ask you to admit how many you have seen a movie. Um, Indiana Jones movies, right? It's right there in the title, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's the MacGuffin? What's the thing they're looking for? The Lost Ark. It's lost. We don't know where it is. We want you to go find it, Indiana Jones. Go get it. Later, it's the Holy Grail. They lost all sorts of stuff. They went to get it back. It's a great movie. Sometimes it's it's a secret, like a code that has to be unraveled. And the whole movie revolves around this, how can we find this thing that we've lost? It's a great plot device. Could you imagine a plot, beginning of a movie? Here's, here's my movie pitch. You're all executives. I'm giving you a movie pitch. Movies like this: main character enters the Smoky Bar, and the person sitting across from them, "Hey, we've lost this thing for thousands and thousands of years. We don't know where it is. We need you to risk life and limb to go find it." And the main character looks on the wall, right there behind the bar, and goes, "There it is. I found it." End of movie. Would you, would you make that movie? Probably not. I mean, it'd be a funny like YouTube gag or something, but not a great movie. But you know, I feel like so often people come to Scripture and they feel like they need this MacGuffin. It's like, I need that thing that's this super secretive thing that everybody has lost. And if we could just find that secret thing, we would understand Scripture, And of course, there's a whole bunch of popular authors that would love to sell you that thing that will unfold all of Scripture to you. Just know this, and it will all make sense. But you know, I really think that as Christians, the thing that makes sense of Scripture is right there. It's not lost, it's overlooked. It's right there, and it's obvious you know, people have tried to go into these deep things like these secret codes, counting letters. If you put these in order, they form these words. If you listen to the audio of the Bible backwards, you hear secret messages. Bibles, or some, you know, like we laugh at that. <laughs> but some read it and go, well, it's just about how to be a good person. This is a how-to manual on how to be happy and be a good person. That's the secret. Some say the secret is how to get rich and be healthy. Some say the secret interpretation of the Bible is how to use it to judge others, the finger pointers of the world. Some say, well, it's just how to feel good about yourself. Get rid of shame and guilt and just feel good about yourself. Just live your best life now. Just be happy. That's the secret. I think in general, a lot of people today think that the secret to understanding the Bible is that the Bible is whatever you want it to be. And so I can come to scripture with my ideas and you can come to scripture with your ideas. We can all come with our own ideas and who cares? We're all right. But the secret to understanding the Bible is right there. It's plain for all to see. On the first Sunday of each new year, and we'll do this again in the coming new year, which I believe the first Sunday of the new year is January 1st, and you better all be here (laughs) on January 1st. The Sunday before that is Christmas. You better all be here Christmas morning. Can I just tell you as an aside, and I hope you don't think less of me, I hated as a kid when, church, when Christmas fell on a Sunday. I hated it. And, and I think God called me on it because the first church that I worked at decided to have a Christmas morning service every year, no matter what. And I was like, God, you really have a sense of humor. But it's good to be a church on a Christmas, okay? But here's the thing. First Sunday of each year, I preach this sermon called The Big Picture or some title like that. And we go from Genesis to Revelation. I've done this every year, I think, since I started here 11 so years ago. The Big Picture, Genesis to Revelation, because I really believe as a a teacher and a preacher and as someone who grew up in the church, so many of us have not been taught That the Bible is one big picture, one whole and complete story with central characters, central purpose, central meaning. As I was speaking with the elders about the upcoming sermon series for this fall, I was Asking the guys, and we were praying about what what should we teach? What should I teach on? What subject or book? And somebody brought up the idea of take that one sermon that I do at the beginning of the year, make a whole series out of it. So that's what we're going to do. That's what Focal Point, the sermon series, is all about. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to look at the key characters and themes and issues in Scripture to understand what the big picture of Scripture is all about about, and the reason I've called it focal point is that in all these incredibly interesting stories that maybe you learned growing up, maybe you didn't, in all of those things, in all of the poetry of the Psalms and the wisdom of the wisdom literature and the history of the history books and the New Testament and the Gospels, in and through all of this, there is one thing we should focus on that ties it all together. But before we get to that, we need to ask the question, why should we study scripture at all? Why does it matter? Why is scripture important enough to spend all of this time over, I think it's going to be the next, I don't know, it's a long, like seven months. We're going to spend seven months. Why? Why take time every Sunday morning for seven months looking at scripture? Why does it matter? Now, I want to give you two key questions. The first one is, what is the Bible? Because when we understand what the Bible is, we'll understand why it matters. Number two is, why should we care? Let's take the second question first. Why should we care what Scripture is and what it says? Why not just go on living our lives however we want? Why not just you find your happiness and I find my happiness and we all find our own happiness? Why bother with Scripture? Let me give you a couple truths that are essential to this. The first truth is this. There is a God. There is a God. Scripture matters because there is a God. Now, I could go into studies and biology and chemistry and all these different proofs and things throughout history to try to prove to you that there is a God. But the first words of Scripture are, in the beginning, God. There is a God. We must accept that there is a God through faith. Yes, there is proof. Yes, there is evidence. But at some point... We have to come to the conclusion for ourselves, I believe there is a God. Now, this is so not popular in our world today. It's seen as foolish, childish, old-fashioned. People will say any serious study of Scripture will show that, that the Bible's just full of error and contradiction. And I would say, that's garbage. Any serious study of scripture that I have seen shows that there is one story from beginning to end that points to the fact that there is one author with one purpose throughout the whole thing. There is a God. Now, if there is a God, who is he? Who gets to determine who he is? Is he good or evil? Well, that would make a difference. Is he strong or weak? How are we going to go about getting to know God? So the first truth we've got to accept is there is a God. The second truth that, that brings us to this understanding of why scripture matters is that God wants to be known. He's not, as Bette Midler said in the 80s, somewhere out there watching us from a distance. He's not just hovering out there kind of standing back, you know, clipping or flipping through human history like on a television, oh, let's see what's on today. He wants to be known. If there is a God, especially the God that we will see in scripture, it is reasonable that he wants us to know who he is. He communicates with us. And if he has communicated with us, which he has, we should want to know what he says. So there is a God. God wants to be known. The third point, I think, is where we, maybe some of us, begin to struggle a little bit. The third point is this. What God communicates about himself is far more important than what we think about him. What God communicates about himself is far more important than what we think about God. In other words, if we want to know God, we don't start with, well, I think, well, I feel, well, I've seen. If you want to know God, you start with, well, God said. If God has spoken and he has communicated to us about himself, we need to know what God says. This is the starting point of coming to scripture. The word of God And he has spoken to us about himself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. It's where we get the word inspiration. It is inspired. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture is from God. It is what God wants us to know about him. God doesn't throw out a questionnaire and say, what do you think about me? He gives us his word and he says, think this about me. This is who I am. This brings me to kind of an illustration I've used before. Imagine going on a date. Just imagine my wife and I, before we got married and we're on a date, and we're just getting to know each other. It's in the that first kind of, Warm, fuzzy blanket time when you're just kind of excited and getting to know and I don't really know who they are. And you go out for a date, maybe for coffee, and you sit down. And maybe she starts saying, well, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. We're just getting to know each other. So I, I'm from here. And I say, shh. Don't tell me who you are. Don't spoil it. Let's just let this be Pure. And you laugh, but I believe so many Christians today are doing that with God. Don't read the Bible. To me, I just want to feel him. How arrogant and how rude. If I did that to my wife when we were dating, she'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm out of here. This person doesn't care about me. And that's what happens when we come to God and say, I don't want to read the Bible. I just want to know him what we're saying is, I don't care about you. I care what I think. And I don't want anything to spoil that. The point of reading and studying scripture is to know God, which brings me back to the other question I started with. What is this? What is the Bible? Is it a collection of just good moral stories? Kind of like Aesop's fables, just live this way, think this way, and you'll be a good person? Tips along your life? Or is there one overarching idea throughout all of Scripture? I was brought up in the church, and I praise God for that. I I was taught the stories of Abraham, Moses, David. I was taught the stories. the the problems of King Saul and the things he went through. We learned about Peter and how he stood up for Jesus. We read these stories and it was powerful. But I came away from that thinking, what a great collection of good stories. It's easy to think that there is no one picture that ties it all together. But when we look at Scripture... Through the lens of what God is saying to us, not just what we think he's saying. When we come to scripture and see it through his lens, we see there is one main idea in scripture that ties all of it together. All of it. One main storyline that gives truth and meaning to everything else. So how do we find that? Is that the MacGuffin? Is this the secret? Like pastor's just telling us we got to dig really deep because this is really hard and we're going to find the secret and our church is going to know the secret that nobody else knows. No, that's not how it works. It's obvious what the one main point is. God wants all of us to know what the focal point of scripture is. Jesus is the focal point of scripture. It's the Sunday school answer, right? I don't really know what the question is, but the answer is Jesus. You've heard that joke before, maybe. It's always Jesus. In this case, it absolutely is. Jesus is the focal point of Scripture. Now, that is a bold statement. Some of you critical thinkers out there that like fact-checking me, and I like that. I like you. I appreciate you because that's how I am when other people are speaking. You might be thinking, but wait a minute. Several thousand years before Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people, God's people, they didn't really know about Jesus for a long, long time. We don't see Jesus until the New Testament. How can we say that Jesus is the focal point of all of Scripture? Because that's what God says. And if we're going to learn about God, we must accept what he says, not just what we think To understand this, we need to walk through a chain of truth, linking together several things in scripture that all go together to prove what I'm saying to you this morning. Because through this sermon series, I want you to be able to pick up your Bible, read a passage of scripture and say, how does this point to Jesus Christ? That's what I want you to be able to do. And to answer that question because you have a better understanding of the overall big picture of Scripture. Now, I want to walk through John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. John chapter 1, I'll put it up on the screen just in case you don't want to flip through. John chapter 1. I want you to see this chain of truth that John lays out for us about Jesus. It starts in verses 1 through 3. John begins his gospel with this statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So there's this thing or this person, the Word, who is somehow equal to God. He is God, and he is with God, and he was with God all the way back in the beginning, which is a clear reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Before everything started, there was God, and there is this word equal to God. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And there was this guy, John the Baptist, it's kind of confusing because this is the book of John. It's a different guy, same name. John the Baptist comes along and the apostle John tells us about him in verse 15. John, this is John the Baptist, testifies concerning him, this guy, this one who's going to come that is the son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Who is this? John the Baptist says, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's a little cryptic. Could you lay it out for us, John? Who are you really talking about? Because the gospel starts with this word that is equal to God. Who is it? Verses 29 to 30. The next day, John, it's John the Baptist, saw Jesus. Now we've got a name. Now we've got a person. A human being walking and talking and living and interacting. Says John saw Jesus and look at what he says. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You see the chain of truth here? Do you understand how this all links together? The word equal to God. The word becomes flesh and lives among us. John says, I have seen the word, this thing, this person. We don't really know who he is yet. And then we go down and John says, it's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God from John chapter one, who is equal to God. Now I know a lot of you right now are going, well, duh. I mean, I've known that. I I know what you're saying, pastor. I don't get it. Why, Why is this important to scripture? Because how do we learn about God? The most important way to learn about God is what God says, right? We learn about God through what God says. Wouldn't it be nice if God himself would tell us how to interpret scripture? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that end all of the debates about what scripture is all about if only God would tell us turn to Luke chapter 24. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus Christ has died on the cross in our place and he's risen from the dead. Now, some of the apostles, some of the disciples had scattered already. They weren't there, but they're beginning to hear these rumors. Our Savior has risen from the dead. Our Lord, our rabbi has risen from the dead, but they're struggling. They know he died. They've heard that he's risen from the dead, but they're struggling. How do we make sense of this? And Luke picks up on this account of these two disciples who are walking to a town called Emmaus. And as they're walking along, a guy catches up to them and starts asking them, Hey guys, what are you talking about? And they say, basically, you must be the only one in the area of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on, which is hilarious because the guy that caught up with them is Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead, and is literally the only person in the entirety of Jerusalem who knows exactly what's going on. Jesus does something amazing in Luke 24, 25 to 27. He said to them, how foolish you are. We need to be careful Modern context, we read this as this incredible insult. This was a teaching tool they would use. There is something you're missing. That's what he means. How foolish you are. There's something you're not getting, and I'm going to help you to get it. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And look at verse 27 beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. Jesus Christ preaches a sermon on the way to Emmaus, to these two guys, and the subject of his sermon is all of the Bible is about Jesus Christ. God has told us, what the Bible is about, because Jesus is God. And he said on the road to Emmaus, it's all about me. Later on, these disciples go back to other disciples and the, and the 11 apostles, and they're reporting what they've heard and what they've seen, and they're talking to them, and Jesus shows up in their midst. And we catch up in verses 44 to 45. Jesus, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He's referring to all of the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds so they could understand scripture. They didn't get that it was all about Jesus. They thought they could come to Scripture and learn how to just be a good person, just do the right things. And Jesus says, that's great, but it's actually all about me. Well, let's just go to the temple and do really religious things. That's great, Jesus says, but it's actually all about me. So many Christians today say, oh, I love Jesus. I just want to go out and live a good life. Just tell me how to live my life. Tell me how to be a good husband, good wife, good parent. And we need to come back and say, wait a minute, we're missing the main thing. Scripture is all about Jesus Christ. If we don't get that, if I'm understanding what Jesus is saying here in this passage, if we don't get that Scripture is all about Jesus Christ, we will fail to understand what Scripture is saying. That's what the disciples were struggling with. They thought they knew. They thought they understood. But they were looking through the wrong lens. For Jesus, who is God, the author of Scripture... The truth about himself is the focal point of all Scripture. Let me review some important truths here. We must understand God on God's terms, not ours. We must accept what he says. The second thing is the Bible is the inspired word of God. This is what God says. We must accept what God says. The third truth is Jesus is God. And Jesus has said the Bible is all about him. I know this is pretty simple for a lot of us. But it's like, the, like I said earlier with the MacGuffin just being on the wall right behind the main character. It's like we want to embark on the grand adventure and the huge experience. And we will storm the gates of hell and climb the highest mountains for Jesus Christ. But we won't stop and just look at the truth and go, oh, it's actually all about Jesus. We skip over the important things because we want to get to the things that we think are important all too often. Jesus is the focal point of Scripture. If we want to understand, and I pray we do, what Scripture is saying, we need to read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. He is the main subject of all of Scripture. He is the glue that ties all of these stories together. They all point to Jesus Christ. Everything in Scripture before Christ points ahead to Him. Everything that happens after Christ points back to Him. Everything that we are as a church today points to Jesus Christ. And the grand conclusion at the end of Scripture, at the end of Revelation, what do we see? Jesus Christ reigning on a throne over all creation. So how do we read and study the Bible this way? That's what this sermon series, I pray, is all about. Helping us to look through the lens of Christ at all the big picture moments, the big themes throughout Scripture. And that's what we're going to do for the next seven months. Some of us are going to have to unlearn some things that we learned. Because we want to read a story and say, David picked up five smooth stones. Go find five smooth stones in your life that you can give to God. That is not what that story is about. Some of us read the story of David. Well, he faced his giant. You've got giants in your life. How can you be more like David and face the giants in your life? That's an incredible application. There's some good stuff there. It's not the point of that story, though. The point of the story, David says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord, my God. Don't look at David. Look at his God. Don't try to be like David. Try to trust in his God. The story about David, story about Moses, story about Abraham is not actually about them. They're not the main characters. God is. And all of it points forward to the need that we have for a savior. And then Jesus comes who is God. and Just like us today, his disciples struggled with that incredible truth. But I hope that as we walk through this, we will understand more our purpose as individuals and as a church as we understand that Jesus is the whole point of the Bible. I want to give you a challenge through this series. It's very simple. Read the Bible. It's hard to remember, I know. If you want to write it down, I'll say it again. Read the Bible. If you don't have one, for the next seven months, get a Bible reading plan. Make it a goal to make it through the New Testament over the next seven months. That's pretty easy to do. If you want the extra gold star, make it a goal to get through the entirety of Scripture in the next seven months. Or the year, two years, I don't care, read the Bible. So many Christians say, oh, I just love the Bible, it's God's Word. Really? Have you ever read it cover to cover? No, that's too hard. Did you know you could read four chapters a day and easily get through the Bible in a year? Easily. Four chapters a day should take you probably no more than about 15 to 20 minutes a day. It's not hard. Read the Bible. I want to give you some resources that might help you that you can also read along with Scripture. Uh, Bill did this in his Sunday school class, kind of listed out the scholarly scholarly resources that, um, that he was using. So I'm going to list my scholarly resources. The first is this. Uh, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is a children's Bible. If you've got grandkids or kids or friends, I cannot recommend this enough. This is a phenomenal children's Bible. It's not the actual uh, text of scripture. It's not one of those. It's summaries and stories. But the subtitle is brilliant. Every story whispers his name. The whole point of the children's Bible is to look at Abraham and David and Moses and whatever else, but to show how they point to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you as a parent or grandparent, you read this with your kids, you will learn so much. So, so, I just want ref- to. This, this is the commercial part of the sermon, okay? This is where I make all my money. Um, order that, wherever. Find it somewhere. It's a great book. If you want something a little bit more grown up, and this one is one I'm using, Gold- Graham Goldsworthy has a book called According to Plan, and he does exactly what I'm going to do in this sermon series he walks through scripture. It's not an easy read, especially the first three or four chapters when he gets into what is biblical theology, but it's a wonderful, wonderful book, and it's it's written at people in the church, not necessarily the pastors or the scholars. It's it's written to kind of the everyday Christian. Another phenomenal one, uh, all elders and former elders will recognize this because we use it in elder training, the God who was there by D.A. Carson, he walks through the main passages and the main themes of scripture. This one is also available as audio recordings of him just it was a sermon, this is the transcript. Um, you can find that online at different places. But I want to challenge you with those things. Because I don't want you to leave this place just going, Oh, that was a good sermon. I mean I hope you think it's a good sermon, but that's not really the point. I hope you leave this place going, if what Pastor Dave said is true, I need to read my Bible more. I need to know him better. And I want to give you resources and challenges and encouragement to know Scripture more. You know, some of you are going to hear some of these stories in the Bible for the first time. That's exciting. Maybe you didn't grow up learning the Old Testament Sunday School stories. Some of you, you're going to hear them for the hundredth time. And I know it's easy to tune out. And you go, I've heard it before. I know it all. I want to challenge you. Focus on Jesus Christ. Look at these stories through the new lens of who Jesus is and what he has done. And I pray at the end of this sermon series, we will all have a bigger picture of what the Bible is all about and who Jesus Christ truly is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I spend so much time and it's such a privilege in, in my job here as a pastor, in my service, in my ministry, it's such a privilege to pour over your word and to think about how I can teach it and preach it to others and how to involve other people in teaching and preaching the word of God. And God, I know to a a world that's looking in on what we're doing, it might seem crazy to spend so much time on this very, very old book. But God, this book comes alive when we understand that it is your word to us. And it is your word to us all about you. And it's all about Jesus Christ, your son and our savior. And so I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, just as you did those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Open our hearts and minds over the next several months that we might see Scripture clearly, purely, truly, and accurately through the lens and the focal point of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Be with me as I prepare these things. May I be true to your word. Be with each one of us, and I pray for each person here that they would take seriously the challenge to get into your word and to read, to really truly read your word. And Father, if there are other things that will help us to do that or enlighten us and give us a better understanding, bring those things along, and we thank you for those authors that do so. And Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone here who is hearing some of this for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time, And they have never accepted your son as their savior. And so some of this just sounds so foreign to them. I pray, Father, they would hear the truth. You want to be known. And you have done everything possible and necessary to be known and to save us through your son, Jesus Christ. May today be the day that they embark on a journey of learning who you are through a relationship with you, through your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.